Hello and welcome to Scarves Around the Funnel, a podcast all about Edinburgh's big team, the Jambos, as uh, me, Laurie Dunsire, is joined again by him, Mark Donaldson. Did you nearly forget your own name? Um, no. Me, uh, Laurie Dunsire. <laughs> How are you? You okay? <laughs> I'm okay. It, it just give me um, a reminder of one of my... Um, amusing or uh, kind of immaturely uh, amusing moments when you watch commentary of English football and Ben Mee is playing and the commentator has to say, oh, it was a great pass by Mee, it was a, a super tackle by Mee. I did, I did one of them yesterday. I, I wasn't doing Ben Mee, but I was doing Hertha against Bayern Munich. And, and uh, as I say this, I cringe. And you'll cringe in a minute as well, because yes, I said it. They have a player, Hertha, number 10, called Andre, O-N-D-R-A-E-J, Duda. Okay? So, Duda got <laughs> substituted towards the end, and I said, during commentary, it's not been Duda's day. <laughs> that, I'm sorry. So, to, to preempt, while that game was ongoing, I did have Hearts Livingston on my monitor at work. So, I did see bits... Uh, it, I, the whole game was on, but I've always got to be wary when commentating on another game at the same time as a Hearts game that <laughs> I don't pay more attention to the Hearts game because you could then call the wrong goal, which obviously wasn't an issue against Livingston. But when I was commentating on the US Open tennis in 2011, I did let out a shriek uh, during a women's match when David <laughs> Templeton scored against Liverpool. So I do have to be careful. So I will be... Um, I will be relying on you a little bit more for a little bit of help. But I did see the full Killy game, and I'm looking forward to discussing that one too. I'll be honest, Mark, uh, having seen the entirety <laughs> of Hearts against Livingston, and you having seen very little of it, there's not much I can add, um, which we will get to. So let's see a running order tonight, as there have been two Hearts games since we last uh, had the podcast on. So we will talk about Kilmarnock in a moment or two, review that game. Uh, we'll break things up before the uh, oh, less exciting uh, Livingston match by going over some of your suggestions, your stories about uh, Hearts bets, your best and worst Hearts bets. And we'll try and touch on a couple more of the uh, away day nightmares that we didn't quite get to last time. Um, so hopefully we'll have a bit of variety about the show and obviously at the end we will look ahead to the Scottish Cup match which will take place in the coming weekend between Hearts and Ochenlech Talbot. Gets into Sean Clare who turns and he gets into the box, he hits it, it's a goal, it's 1-0 Hearts! It's Sean Clare with his second of the season, his first in the league and he puts Hearts 1-0 up here at Rugby Park, Sean Clare with the goal! Mulroney makes the run and it's played to Mulroney who will get there, he'll cut it back Naismith's there and that's 2-0 and it's Naismith against his former club well there's not much of a celebration unsurprisingly but there is in the stand to my left hand side where about 700 Hearts fans are going wild because Hearts are 2-0 up at Rugby Park so first up, Friday night football for the Jambos over in Ayrshire and on uh, Super Bowl weekend, Hearts showed uh, superb defence to come away with all three points uh, and although Steve Clark didn't quite appreciate it, I think it was certainly a, a very good away display. Now, going into this game, Mark, Hearts are facing Achilles' side who had won six at home in a row, they'd won five in the league at home in a row, they were looking to record six for the first time in the top flight, six consecutively, only one loss in the last 12 games home and away. A team on, on very good form and obviously some talk of them being involved in a, a battle for top spot or second at least. Uh, so to go there and get a result is no mean feat. And Hearts, probably unsurprisingly system-wise, Mark kept the 3-4-2-1 formation that had been so successful against St. Johnston in their previous match. Uh, Marcus Godinho maybe surprisingly out, although maybe the plastic pitch playing a part in that. Ollie Lee also dropping out. Connor Shocknessy and Callum Morrison coming in. And I guess the only major change in terms of who was out there was that Callum, um, rather, Michael Smith was moved to the right-hand side. So a more defensive player on the right, which I'm 
going to guess is maybe to counter Jordan Jones, who was on that side. But no real surprise, I suppose, about Hearts lined up after arguably their best performance in the last three months against St Johnston. Yeah, a couple of things about that. Craig Levine admitted he tweaked a couple of things. Um, one was John Souter playing in a slightly different role. And Craig never mentioned what role that was. But you mentioned Jordan Jones, and I think they identified him as a danger man. And they thought with Souter on that side keeping a close eye, I think if if you get Michael Smith bombing forward and Hearts are then out of position and you've got Jordan Jones running at the defence, John Souter's probably Hearts' quickest defender that, that they have. So that made sense. And I thought Souter and Smith played very well. The one thing I would say that Hearts, I think, slightly got away with, and although delighted with the result, I just first half hour I was I was concerned because I thought Jake Mulraney was being asked to do too much. I didn't think he was getting enough help from Sean Clare um, or from Christoph Berra, for for a matter of fact, because Christoph was getting pulled out a fair bit as well due to the pace of Chris Burke. And I was concerned. It didn't look anywhere near as tight on that side um, as it did on the other side. And I thought Chris Burke had a couple of chances and we were slightly fortunate. But I think the whole thing for me today that I want to get over is perspective. And I know people will be pissed off at not taking three points against Livingston. But I think we do have to put things into perspective here. And here's why. Hearts took four points from two games. We would have taken that beforehand. That would have meant a draw against Kelly, most likely, and a victory over Livingston. We got four points from two games, but in a better manner for me, because we stopped Kilmarnock from getting either level with or the same points ahead or maybe extending that. And then they went to Dundee and they got a point. So they got a point from two games that they were probably expecting six, um, maybe four at worst. They only got one. Okay, so they could quite easily be on 49 points, but they're not. Hearts could quite easily be on 43, which they are, and they would only be, let's see, what, six points adrift of Killy. So you can look at it two ways. Yes, it's frustrating, and we'll look at the Livingston game later, but if you're going to take four points, because we said it, we both said it, we would take a point against Kilmarnock. We got all three. And that maybe raised the expectation and raised the, the hopes that, oh, cool, we can go on a run now. But we've said it every single week. Once you start thinking, oh, it's Dundee at home, it's Livingston at home, there's three points. That's when the trouble begins. I will play devil's advocate sure, late, no later on when it comes okay. to the perspective argument. But we'll, we'll speak a bit more about Kelly first of all. We're not going to take too much time on it because we've got quite a lot to get through. But um, you mentioned Kelly started with maybe a couple of dangerous moments, Chris Burke maybe looking like Chris Burke from 30 years ago or whenever he first started. <laughs> Sorry, play. In, in my notes, it was when Chris Burke had last scored um, against Hearts. He'd scored against Hearts for Rangers many moons ago. And it was in December 2003, which always just seems bizarre. It's usually only Kenny Miller that you get the ridiculously um, old bits of... Um, trivia and goal scoring facts about but anyway Chris Burke in there as well there's only really I guess three talking points to get into in this game in terms of match moments and that's the three goals late in the first half Sean Clare really good goal actually um, Morrison involved as well taking the ball down really well on the right hand side and Sean Clare who just he seems to be growing not just in confidence but even in strength because he did really well to drive through a couple of challenges and pick out the bottom left corner and it's very different to the Sean Clare that we saw two or three months ago who I felt was getting shoved off the ball very easily um, so I don't know if it's a, a kind of physical and a mental thing but he seems to be getting through players a lot better his upper body strength seems to be showing now as he kind of not necessarily with the, the skill with the ball at his feet but just his kind of strength and awareness to nip past players I thought it was a really good moment for him really nice finish um and then the second goal, and this is one where if I'm a Kilmarnock fan or someone involved at Kilmarnock, I'd be a bit disappointed because you hope that football teams do their homework and maybe there's not enough of um, certain Leeds United managers around doing doing extra homework. But Hearts tried this against St. Johnson and almost scored against it in their last match where there's a free kick from about 25 yards out, 25, 30 yards 
player does an overlapping run in the left, roll it into his path, he can then cut it back into the box. Almost scored against St. Johnston, did score against Killy, and no one even thought about covering that. To me, I was pleased with it from a Hearts perspective. I love when a move from the training ground, a set-piece move comes off like that, but I said it in commentary after the goal. I was like, we we tried that at the weekend against St. Johnson, the exact same move from almost the exact same position almost scored. Why have Kilmarnock not covered that? Mm-hmm. Mm. How, how, how sour were the grapes afterwards that, oh, that yeah. Stevie Clark oh. was, was eating? Oh, oh, it was a foul by, it was a foul, a foul by, come on. You watch it back. That happens all, if, it, if that's a foul, here's the, here's the litmus test for a foul. If that was the other way around, Stevie, would it have been a penalty for Hearts? No, so shut up. Um, Sean Clare, I've just checked his Wikipedia entry. Someone's been editing it. Oh, I haven't I haven't looked at that. No, not, neither had I, never. I was just checking his age. And rather than checking on Soccer Way, I checked it on Wikipedia. <laughs> to my to my um, interest, Sean Clare, blah, 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 blah. Despite scoring only one goal at almost every club except Berry, which was Sean because it just didn't work out for him, so that's a 10-year-old. Final sentence, every goal he did score was up for the Pushkas. <laughs> Basically, the Pushkas Award is, is, is something that was created on October 2009 by FIFA, and it's for those players, male or female, judged to have scored the most aesthetically significant or most beautiful goal of the year. So if you look at, and I'm sure no one's going to edit this between now and the time whoever's listening to this, goes to check out Sean Clare on Wikipedia. Apparently, the goal he scored for Sheffield Wednesday, the goal at Accrington Stanley, the goal against Gilling, as for Gillingham on loan, <laughs> and the goal for Hearts against Kilmarnock, every single one of them is up for the Pushkas Award, according to Wikipedia. It's, it's Shan as well. That's a, that's a good Edinburgh Shan, word. You can't, you can't use that word. <laughs> we're not 10. We're not, we're, not, we're not 10. We're not the 10-year-old that, that wrote that first sentence. <laughs> Despite scoring only one goal at almost each club, except <laughs> Berry, which was Sean, because it just didn't work out for him. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, yeah. How how easy is it to edit something on Wikipedia? Do you need to have you, you can't need to have some sort of professional background because whoever no. wrote that is 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 a nonsense. No, that you can you could submit edits, I think, and there's usually someone who moderates, but it depends on the page if someone actually gets to it at any point. Uh, my my favourite Wikipedia edit was one that the player in question I, I heard actually was quite annoyed at and it was uh, David Abua and at one point someone had edited his Wikipedia page and it read David, David Abua, age blah blah blah, born, is a footballer who plays uh, for Uganda and Heart of Lothian he is awful <laughs> that's <laughs> just, uh, <laughs> I've just uh, I've just pressed edit on Wikipedia Editing from your IP address is blocked. Oh, have you been? Until have you June done this before? No, <laughs> <laughs> no, I've not. It, I tell you why. It's because I'm on a VPN. I'm on a VPN oh. to Canada because it's the only way uh, I get to watch a show um, called Coroner, which has Sarinda Swan in it, who's one of my top five um, females. That was probably too much information, but I'm on a VPN to Canada, hence the fact VPNs clearly are not allowed to edit on Wikipedia. This tangent has started early this week. I'm and by the way, what? Sorry to keep interrupting, but this is, I'm, I'm I'm on one today. Um, your top five, uh, Catherine Jenkins is in there oh, as well. On. So there's there's two of my five, and um, yeah, let's get back to Hearts. I'm trying to find Mark Donaldson on doesn't exist Wikipedia. <laughs> Intentionally, no, 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 don't. It doesn't exist. Uh, it, I feature it. I, fe I, I feature in a few pages, um, but the Wikipedia one, thankfully, doesn't exist yet. Um, there's an ESPN biog which um, I had to write myself. Uh, yeah, but we're not really interested in in me. We're we're interested in talking about Kelly Hearts and Hearts Livingston. Uh, there's an Australian soldier who was a oh, know, recipient of the Victoria Cross. Yeah, but... there, <laughs> I, there, there's also there's also uh, an Australian called Mark Donaldson, who is a lawyer who works for Disney. And about six months ago, um, I got a hell of a lot of emails 
which were intended for him, all to do with various high-profile shows and whether or not millions should be spent by Fox and various others in Australia to um, spend to acquire the rights. So rather than kind of negotiate on his behalf, I just said, look, it isn't me. But there must be, everyone listen to this. There must be situations of some people listening whereby they have been mistaken for other people and you could cause a fair bit of mischief if you'd pretended and gone through with the ruse. Right, as as tangents go, that was bad even for us. Um, Very good. So that won't make it. That's cool. Don't <laughs> no, mind that. No, I'm, I'm, it'll probably make it. But this is this is <laughs> this is just me saying. Let's get back on track. So okay. So Kamarnik, um, we don't need to speak. We don't need to speak about the second half much. But um, before half time, Christoph Berra gave away a penalty. No real doubt about it at all. Now, Hearts have had poor-ish records at scoring penalties in recent years. Um, this season, we seem to be pretty bad at stopping them as well. Now, penalties are an interesting one because goalkeepers don't have much pressure on them. They're not expected to stop penalties. Now, I, I put this one out on Twitter after the game, and it's not just to do with the Hearts game. I've said this a few times, and some people agreed, some people didn't. I, I would say more people said it was a worthwhile suggestion than not. I don't understand why goalkeepers don't stand on the line and wait for spot kicks to be hit. Now, I'm aware if a spot kick is hit with pace and it's to the side of the goal, if you stand still, you're not going to get anywhere near that. However, when penalties are taken well and they're in the corner, keepers don't tend to get them. Most penalties I see in Scotland, especially when you're out with the top players, tend to be, if they are on target, down the middle or not that much to the side. And that That's interesting. That's interesting because... Uh, I didn't do a penalty shootout yesterday in the Bayern game. It was decided in extra time, but there was a penalty shootout um, in the game the previous day of which Dortmund lost at home on penalties. And just thinking about the penalties now, at least one of them on each side went either down the middle or close to the middle. So I think there's a fair chance if the goalkeepers had stayed where they were, they would have saved it. So if before a penalty shootout, and I want to get to Hearts in a, in a second with regards to penalties that they've conceded. If before a penalty shootout, you were given the choice that your goalkeeper would save one of the five, would you take those odds? I, th- I would think so. So you'd have to score them all, but even if you missed one, you'd still go to sudden death. It's interesting. So you're, it's interesting you're right, yeah. Uh, I was going to say one of the things when you watch penalty shootouts i think the higher the level and this is just this is i've not got any stats to to back this up at all but just from my experience tends to be watching it when you see at the higher level the penalties seem to be scored more often because the top players can pick a corner and score into that corner with pace and power and it's very hard even for the best keepers in the world to from 12 yards dive across their goal not only just get the right to dive the right way but to then get right to the corner and stop the ball but I just think the the Scottish level which is not the best I see so many penalties which are just thwacked down the middle or when they are to the side it's not actually that much in the corner it's sort of a yard or two to the left or to the right and I think a keeper if he stood still if it's only a couple of yards 12 yards out if it's only just to his left or right he could still react to that whereas by diving you can't get to the corner. You're not going to get right to the corner if it's a perfect penalty. You can't then cover the middle, and you can't cover the whole other side of the goal. So by diving, you're pretty much only giving yourself the option that if that player hits it to that side, but not perfectly, you're going to save it. And even then, it could go under you or too high for you. It's you're kind of you're not really giving yourself as good odds, I would feel, than if you stood still. Yeah, to, to bring it back to a Hearts perspective, I'm thinking the best penalty shooter I've seen from a Hearts angle was the cup final against Gretna. Yep. Presley, Nielsen, Skatchel and Pospisil, they were excellent, excellent penalties. Uh, the commentary that I did, uh, I don't know why, but something about Skelton and his preparedness walking up, um, he just looked nervous. And I, I, yeah. I suggested that he looked nervous and, and obviously he hit the bar and, and he didn't score. Two of those 
I was never a big thing about defenders taking penalties, but Presley actually had a pretty good record. Yeah. Nielsen's penalty was was excellent as well. So as far as and it's not, it might be a homework. I don't know. It depends where we go for the rest of the the podcast this week. Um, what's been your your favourite Hearts penalty or your favourite Hearts penalty shootout? Now I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of people will say Craig Beattie um, as a solo penalty, which took us to the cup final against Hibernian. It's just interesting because different people might have different answers to that. So if you want to get in touch with us, I'd, I'd be intrigued because I'm sure there are penalties out there that we've forgotten that you maybe remember well and fondly. So let's keep the positives of, of your favourite hearts, either penalty or penalty shootout. And the other thing, while we were talking about penalties, we recently have not had a good record from the spot. But can you remember... A Hearts goalkeeper with a decent record at saving penalties. Because I can't. I can remember Marion Kello saving one anyway. Um... Yeah, but someone... I mean, part part of this is my uncle back in in the 60s, Uncle Ali, Ali Donaldson, played for uh, Dundee for many, many years. Actually had a season at Hibernian. Boo, hiss. Uh, at the time, he he still has one of the records for... Uh, percentage of penalties saved. I think he was at 42, 43% of penalties saved back in the day. Um, and he just said his secret was was to keep an eye on, on not so much the run-up, because that doesn't really give too much away, but just various things, the player's eyes and body shape and whatever. And a lot of it's down to luck as well. I just think with Hearts and Hearts goalkeepers, I don't recall in the goodness knows how many, in the 35 years I've been following Hearts. I, I believe Jim Cruikshank might have been pretty good at saving penalties, but again, before my time. So anyone who remembers that, let us know. But is, has there been anybody that you remember as a good penalty saver for Hearts? McDonald's and Kane meet again, this time from the spot. 18-year-old Harry Kane, saved by McDonald, who has the final word in their little encounter. Just to wrap up the, the Kamarnik game, um, a, a little bit disappointing with Steve Clark after the match. Now, this is a Kamarnik side who have been punching above their weight. They've been doing superbly. I mean, the, the fact he's got that team challenging at the top end of the table is remarkable, really. Um, and they're a team built on often getting really good away results and a lot of that has to do with the fact that they're solid, they defend well and they did it at Tynecastle. you know, they sat and the game was played in their half for a lot of it and they snuck a goal at the other end arguably Hearts dominated that game much more than Kilmarnock dominated the Friday night game at Rugby Park but he made a little comment about them not getting through when they've got three big lumps in the way and obviously he's being slightly tongue in cheek to say the least with that but I thought it was a bit disrespectful for the way Hearts played. I thought it was a really good defensive display and I thought it was ironic for someone who has Kirk Broadfoot in his team to then <laughs> refer to John Souter as a big lump who's arguably one of Scotland's best ball-playing defenders and I would say probably in the top two of Scottish centre-backs at the moment. So it disappointed me a bit because I like Steve Clark and I've been really impressed by him but I thought that showed a little bit no, it showed a lot of sour grapes. Yeah, he's just getting ready for when he takes over at Celtic, and then the media will lap that up. Well, <laughs> some sections will, and some won't. The fallout, by the way, from the Rangers' penalties has just been incredible and ridiculous, and then the Morelos sending off, blah, blah, blah. And then for, for Stevie Clark to get involved, yeah, Stephen Jenner, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't quite get that one. I mean, was as, as the, the kind of suggested maybe on on sports sound was there a little bit of shithousery um going on <laughs> as far as oh wait a minute here um make sure that uh it's brought up so that it's probably going to be banned for the Kilmarnock or, or whatever I, I, I don't know but it just it's it's at times like this when those two the fans of of those two teams in Glasgow it's like the world revolves around them and they're obs- they're more obsessed with the other teams. And don't don't get me wrong. I mean, like we we'll have banter and whatever with Hibs fans, and it's just it's a different level there. And for Stevie Clark to kind of get involved in in the comments afterwards, and I don't think we can be hypocritical here. 
because Craig Levine's come out with comments and, and we've kind of said, really? But we back him because he's our manager, especially if it's against opposition. Managers see games differently um, from each other. Understandably so. Oh, I, I felt we were by far the better team, says one. Nonsense. We were by far the better team. So it takes someone without a kind of, well, it takes someone who's impartial um, to, to give a better idea of, of what actually happened. Did Hearts deserve to win? <sighs> Maybe. They scored two good goals and, and Kamarnik scored a penalty. On the balance of play, well, probably Kelly deserved a draw, but they didn't put the ball in the back of the net. I watched that one, commentating on that game yesterday between Hertha and Bayern. Bayern were in absolute cruise control. They were 2-1 up. Hertha hadn't even been outside their own half. Balls played back to Mats Hummels. Sub for Hertha, Davy Selke comes on. Hummels doesn't see him. Hummels plays it back to the goalkeeper, Sven Ulreich. Davy Selke pops in, and it's 2-2. And Bayern, despite having 80% of the ball, all the chances, couldn't find a way to, to, to get through. Now, OK, they lost in extra time. Now, if their manager came out and said, I thought we thoroughly deserved to win that game, he's, he's, he's talking bollocks. Now, for Stevie Clark to, to, to say some of the comments that he made, again, it was like, really? Were you watching the same game as, as us? I mean, it was clear. There was, there was no Kelly definitely deserved to win or Hearts definitely deserved to win. It's subjectivity. And with Stevie Clark, it surprised me, as did his comments about Jermaine Defoe and various other things. But... We can't be too hypocritical about it because Craig Levine, Jim Jeffries, Jim Jeffries was, was a great one for seeing a game through totally maroon-tinted glasses like we all seem to do. But he, at times, refused to give the opposition credit. We lapped it up. So we can't be having a go at Stevie Clark for wanting the best for his club. But I just did a little bit, but okay. <laughs> no, it's, you can't. By the way, if it's if it's a if it's an isolated incident like that, what if it happens all the time, it gets boring. I think why it's why it's made headlines is because he hasn't done it very often, has he? It's because he's been winning most of the time. Exactly, exactly, and and show me a show me a a, a sore loser. Fine, show me a good loser. I'll show you a liar. <laughs> I mean, you're right. He he's had a really good season, and when 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 you, I mean, Hearts have gone there twice and won. Did we deserve to win the first game? Who cares? We did, and who cares if we deserved that? As I said, the whole Killy Livingston, give me four points. We got four points, but you get greedy after you get three in the first one, and you want six. So that's why I was hoping for a bit of perspective today, and I'm looking forward to your devil's advocate um, coming up. On, on what was said there in perspective, because it's going to be interesting to argue that case. Okay, before we get on to perspective and me trying to stoke the fire a little bit, um, we will go through some of the bits of feedback we received from listeners in reference to Nightmare Away Days. We didn't get through everything last week, so we'll quickly cover a couple more. Um, Graham Sibley um, messaged in saying he remembers trying to wake Jake up in Dublin. Now yeah, this... this is Jake Moran, who I'd mentioned a yep. couple of weeks ago. Yep. I was going to say, in case, <laughs> in case someone hadn't listened to the previous one. Um, uh, who... The St. Pat, Pat's game, he was steaming. He, yeah, he was. Well, it's a recurring theme, I think. Um, <laughs> uh, tried to wake Jake up in Dublin, who he also picked up on the outskirts of Paris after he missed the bus home. Uh, Ian Hunter missed most of the Paris game as he slept. He's, um, Graham, sure he's got a photo of it somewhere. Also, Pennycook bus that went to Greenock instead of Clyde Bank for a midweek <laughs> game, which I, I think you'd mentioned as well. He says he hope Ian listens. He's still the only man that when hearts are two down going into injury time would be disappointed in a draw. Mister Optimistic, it's a bit like True. you. It's a bit like you. You need a bit more pessimism sometimes. All Me, this, all, this, oh, no. all this perspective, or this, this is just, uh. this is just for just for show. I think I need to find a happy medium because I was Mr. Misery a few weeks ago and then I was Mr. Positive and then <laughs> too, and too now I'm being hammered, hammered yeah. for that. Yeah, Ian, Ian would be disappointed with Hearts not qualifying for the World Cup. <laughs> Don't try and explain to him Hearts can't play in a World Cup. He, he doesn't listen. There, There's a guy who doesn't matter if Hearts lost 6-0, which remember they did at Falkirk and I think a 7-0 against Celtic. He'd still say Hearts were unlucky. That's, that's, I'm not saying it's a true fan, but it's, it's someone who... 
cares passionately about their team. Uh, Paul Kiddy used to be PR at Hearts, used mm-hmm. to be the Hearts yes. news, uh, even a news reporter, reminded me in a nice tweet. Remember the one about me with the wrong passport at check-in with the players going to the Feyenoord game? Yes. <laughs> Some, he'd, he'd taken the, um, the passport of his six-month-old daughter. Uh, and he got he got to the check-in desk, and I was I was right behind him, and the the person behind the desk said to him, and he, and he quotes in his tweet, similar hairline, sir, but <laughs> as the guy showed me a pic of my six-month-old daughter, <laughs> SOS to the house for the proper one, and eventually arrived at gate, and the the squad, without a word of a lie, the squad was ready for him, didn't even go upstairs, waited till Kitty got back, and gave him a standing ovation for bringing the correct. <laughs> passport against <laughs> Feyenoord. Remember it well. That was good. Can't believe that was 15 and a half years ago. That's scary. Time flies, eh? Um, Catch22 um, says, that guy who fell asleep in Helsinki Airport and his brother never bothered going back for him and we all just got the flight to Tallinn. Brilliant away trip, but better with the state of everyone. And that would have been um, the Estonia trip that was, recently, yeah, which that... you commented on. And I went that way as well. Yeah, because, via Helsinki. Yeah. yeah, I'd just come. I'd finished covering Wimbledon. Uh, somehow negotiated an extra couple of days um, from work that I think they thought I was still doing something tennis related and went from Gatwick to Helsinki to Tallinn. Now, there was also, right, help me out here. There was a big English club, was it Leicester or something? They were on a European trip, and there was I'll need to I'll need to try and think who that was. But they were they were going to on a European trip as well. But if it's your brother or whoever it is, you've got to wake them up. That's that's a bit that's a bit naughty. You can get you can you can get a hydrofoil from Helsinki to Tallinn in forty five minutes. But again, it's the cost. Um, I spoke about Kiddy and Feyenoord. Funnily enough, within a couple of hours of Paul sending me and you that tweet. We got a tweet as well from Maxime Cormac. It's to do with Feyenoord Hearts. It's also to do with a passport. Feyenoord versus Hearts. Realised I'd forgotten my passport halfway to the airport. Well, similar to Kitty, except Maxine was flying from London. And she lived in Edinburgh. And she was driving from Edinburgh to London when she decided that she didn't have her passport. She got to the airport. She tried to negotiate that they let her fly with her provisional driving license. They said no, so she headed back up the road on her own and missed the match. Ouch. (laughs) I I just remembered when we're talking about um, these disasters, this is not hearts related, but Scottish football. Do you remember the Celtic fan who flew to Malta? (laughs) <laughs> of the week before they played there. <laughs> I don't know, but that's funny. Yeah. We, can, we can all relate. We can all sympathise. <laughs> it's like booking your travel the minute the draw's made and then three hours later, an official announcement from the club, whoever it may be. Yes, due to uh, fixture congestion and other games taking place in the city at the same time, the fixture between <laughs> X and Y has been reversed. And you're like, shit, no! You can't do this to me. Or, or as a commentator, you scream at the end of a game that hearts are going to Hampton and then they move the game to Murrayfield. You know. right, but that's, that's okay. <laughs> you, at least you want the opportunity to do it. Um, Lorraine, Mrs. Miko, uh, 1874, sent a tweet. I love these. They're all about flights. Uh, missing the flight to Porto. Now, I assume that was for the Braga game because that's where we flew to and then drove mm-hmm. up about an hour. Uh, so missed the flight to Porto. Three flights later, and running through Madrid Airport like a scene from Home Alone, me, my two best mates, and seven other jambos we'd never met, being officially announced as the Madrid 10. Apparently, as a result, Madrid Airport now also announces flights in English now. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. You've you've helped change for the positive. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness me! We honestly, have you got any more? Um, Keith says uh, not with hearts, but Holland away. I forgot the clocks went forward and missed my <laughs> flight home. 
Um, Stevie Morris is a cup replay against Dundee in the 70s. My dad's car broke down on the way in the middle of nowhere, uh, no M90 then. There was a small hole in the radiator, so we all had to pee in it to get us to the match. No, come on! No! They lost, he says. <laughs> um, Catch22 gave us another one, he says. Um, got the 6am train to Inverness, had a couple of sherries, fell asleep five minutes into the first half and missed three goals, woke up at half-time, and this would, hearts would have been three down, and said, this is pish, anyone want to go back to the pub? <laughs> Game finished 3-3, six-goal thriller, and I missed the lot. <laughs> Which game was that? Um, the Inverness away, do you know the how Inver- were three yeah. down? The, well, three a, one a down couple... it would have been, sorry. It was three, three one down it would have been. A couple of ones from me, uh, just memories as fans, uh, as a fan way back. We were 3-0 down and we drew 3 all. We went to a pre-season friendly against Derby the baseball ground. This was before they moved to Pride Park. And we were three goals down. And it, it, it was the day after the whole Jim Jeffries Falkirk to Hearts scenario, which was a mess. So it's, it's 96, I think it would have been. Um, 95, 96, or 96, 97 at the start of the season. We got chased through the streets of Derby. This was around the time where the relationship between the Scottish and English clubs wasn't the best. Um, and, and, and a quick off-tangent story to do with that. Robbie Musto, who used to play for Middlesbrough, worked at ESPN, now does NBC's coverage over here. Um, Musto played with some right good players at, at, at Middlesbrough. And he was told um, Middlesbrough went up for a testimonial to play Rangers at Ibrox. And David Murray afterwards had said to the Middlesbrough chairman, I think Steve Gibson it was at the time, um, next time any of your boys have a testimonial, just give us a shout. We'll come down for it. So the next one was Robbie Musto. Um, so Steve Gibson said to him, by the way, we can get you Rangers. It was happy days because they'll bring like 10, 20,000 down to, to Ayrson Park as it was back then. The cops said no. The cops were the ones that turned down the request. And as a result, he ended up getting an England select. He got about 5,000 at the game. He made a couple of bob. Now, I know you're talking about footballers, but what you could have had, what you could have earned, and a lot was going to charity as well. Uh, so, so that was one. And another one involves a Hearts game at Middlesbrough. And we went down by the bus, and we pretty much got a police escort from, as did a lot of the buses, I think. A lot of them were told they had to meet at Berwick or somewhere on the A1, and they would then get a police escort down from, from Berwick towards Middlesbrough. Um, and again, it was the tensions at the time. That was Brian Robson's first game in charge. We lost, um, but it was a good day out. And that brings me to Scott Allen's tweet, Preston Hearts. Now, again, this is 20 years later. This is 2016, recently. Um, a long weekend in Blackpool. Nice. Got off the train uh, to Preston, told by Greater Manchester Polis which pub we had to go to before the game, escorted to the ground, you remember this? Yeah, I was I was at that game. I was escorted in the the, ah, the, okay. the lines of Hearts fans. Uh, you continue, really? Continue with what? Is, yeah, yeah. So so this this will be preaching to the converted. Escorted to the ground, uh, Deepdale by Hunters of Polis, quote an hour be- an hour before kickoff. All the pubs shot it too. Goodness me. Uh, part two of the tweet. Uh, they put on buses as soon as the game ended back to the train station. No pubs were open. This is 2016. This isn't even 95, 96. When 2000, it was 2006, it would have been. Oh, he's put 2016, so was uh, it 2000? I don't think we played them. Did we not play them recently? Unless we, I played, we, did. unless we played them again. I was there, it was 2006. But... Okay. Um, no pubs open. This is after the game. Next train to Edinburgh an hour later. Luckily, we still had the bed and breakfast in Blackpool to go back to. Utterly shite day. Greater Manchester Police, brutal. I'm guessing they still had a hangover from Rangers ripping up Manchester. Uh, did we not play Preston twice? Let's have a look. So 2006. They played him in 2015 as well. Let's have a look. Uh, I thought we played them twice because... They played him 2015 re- as well. I mean, I was there in 2006. That's when I went there. And that's what they did. They marched... Yeah, us- so that's 2006, 2015. So that would have been 2015. Oh, well, it depends because... One digit changes it to 20, 2006. One digit also changes it to 
2015, doesn't it? So you got you got marched to the from, state from the train station. We came out, and I was kind of taken aback by the fact that they, yeah, they they marched us in lines, and it, it was bizarre because um, we there was people at their doors and their windows looking out what's what's going on here and everyone started singing flower of scotland so <laughs> it was all these hearts fans in lines just walking through the streets of preston and uh, with police escorts all around us on horseback and singing flower of scotland with people peering through their curtains at us. um it, it was it was a bizarre one bizarre one okay moving on because we also wanted to speak about um your hearts related bets now this is your rem- your kind of memorable hearts bets so it could be for good or bad reasons your punts that were just terrific and came in your long shots or your terrible ones that you kept putting on that never came in or even the bet that you might have forgot to put on which you always used to put on or you said you were going to do so we've got some um, good ones to go through so let's uh, have a start um, Alistair Dobby says uh, the talk of the betting reminded him of his Maybury to score first goal, a bet that he had on every single home game he finally scored against Partick and I wasn't there, he says and that is a goal, I remember an absolute belter as well and although it was first goal of the game I think it was right at the end, a volley uh, from the angle I think I remember correctly at Tynecastle Um, but that's certainly one that's a bit from left field, Alan Maybury to score first, um Simmy says he put on a religious couple of quid on Takas Fisas first goal every week, always in the region of thirty-three to forty-five to one. Uh, thinks he manages his managed his only goal for Hearts at Tynecastle versus Motherwell, which he did. Um, not sure the winnings covered my season-long stakes, though. Uh, they probably didn't, Simmy, and that's exactly why bookmakers <laughs> earn so much money. Um, Ewan Hall also said him and his mate stuck a quid on Fisas first scorer in 2005-2006 season. Uh, apart from the match where they were running late, um, he scored that day. I think you're looking at the next season possibly, but wait, we get the point. Um, best bet was France versus Scotland. He stuck a quid he found on the street on McFadden <laughs> first scorer and Scotland to win 1-0 oh. at 100-1, to which is... I'm disappointed you only got 100 to 1, but you can't complain at 100 quid from a pound that you picked up in the street. So that's a cracking win for Ewan. Um, what else have we got? Mark Wells uh, says his worst... <laughs> I've actually... I've muddled up my notes here, um, but the one that is that snuck in here is Mark Wells tweeted me um, after the Livingston game saying the worst betting tip was on Hearts TV Jimmy Sanderson guaranteeing that Hakim Adolphin would get booked and who? Uh, the new signing for Livingston who was playing on the right former Northampton town player I had never heard of him um, until that game so uh, Amoruso lets it run said his best bets were having a fiver bet on the two 4-0 games against Hibs in 2005 2006. He also put money on Stephen Elliott first goal and a 4-0 win that came in against Dunfermline, which is another very good bet as well. Um, Ollie Harwood says, can't remember the game, um, but it does bring back the time the lad next to me was questioning for about 20 minutes whether to cash out for a big win, and we got another goal in the last minute to bust him. And then he quotes, should I cash out? Nah, let it run. All or nothing. I think I should cash out. I'm telling you, just let it run. Repeat for 10 minutes. Goal. I told you you should have cashed out. Then he ends it with snigger. Um, <laughs> let's have a look what else we've got. Um, we've got one. and Oh, I've cut off the name, but um, me and my nephew had £30 on hearts to win and both teams to score against Cali in the semi-final. Oh, no. Um, four minutes into injury time against nine men and it crashed. Gutted. Didn't even start to describe it. Um, that is one to, to feel sore about. Um, Blair Messer, true story from last Saturday's, this is at the time he sent it, this was the St Johnston game, filling the betting sheet in hospitality and had a couple of quid left over, checked the higher odds for first goal scorer. Hughes, Michael Smith, Goudinho were all 50 to 1, decided that Berra at 33 to 1 was safer, didn't win the £100 on Goudinho, but did have a pound on 2-0, so, you know, every cloud there. Callum 
uh, also says, in my derby, 26th of October, 2014, not the most I've won, but by far the best bet I've won. Don't ask why I put it on. And Callum attached a betting slip, which has 33-1 to 1, Ali Muzturk for Hart's last goal scorer in the game. And it's uh, it's only for maybe a modest £68, but I think I can agree with them. That's one of the best bets we've seen. It's funny because that that bet there, you don't expect to get double luck, do you? The first part is always scoring late on. And then for your, bet, for your bet to come up. If that happened to me, the first thing I'm thinking of, Right, what 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 what's bad's going to happen to me? Because you don't you don't get that you don't get a goal like that, especially if you're at the game too, and a winning bet. No, I mean there's there's got to be some karma, some <laughs> reverse karma around the corner there. Uh, we have had a few others, but um, I'll I'll try and get to them next week because uh, we've waffled on even even more so than normal this week, and we have got some other things to get to. So feel free to keep sending us. Um, your bets, good or bad, on hearts, and we'll try and cover a few more next week. Have a bang on that. Okay, finally, we're going to have to be nice and snappy uh, about this, Mark, which won't happen because we're terrible at that. Hearts against Livingston. So, this is the midweek game following the Friday night win against Kilmarnock. Um, hearts home to Olivia side, who had lost five games in a row. They were without a win in seven, without a goal. Um, and four away from home, they were winless in 11 since beating St Mirren back in August. They'd failed to score in their last four away matches, including one against Hearts. So you know when a team's lost a bunch of games in a row, you know what's going to happen when they play Hearts. They're going to manage to get a result. Um, I have to say, I, I didn't see that one coming. Third game running, Hearts kept the same formation. No surprise after good wins against St Johnston and um, Kilmarnock. Callum Morrison out, Ollie Lee in, very little in the way of changes. I don't want to dissect this game too much. Um, Naismith scored a good header in the ninth minute. Didn't think it looked offside at the time. I've seen a replay. It was good call linesman, fair play. Um, Uchi Igpiezu came on the second half, could have scored late on, but there was very little happened, Mark, so there's no point. You've not seen much of it. I watched it all. Not much happened. Hearts, <laughs> Hearts huffed and puffed, and Livingston defended solidly. We never really looked like breaking them down. Um, now, I'll hand over to you, you, you for your little bit of perspective. Now, not too much because okay. we're, yeah, yeah. we're tight yeah, on time. Sure. But give us, give, yeah, me, because, give me your perspective. My, yeah, my wife's away to work in ten minutes, and she's going to go regardless. <laughs> so I've got a ten-month-old daughter who'll just be left to her own devices. Otherwise, so yeah, I'll keep the perspective pretty quick. I gave man marks after the Kilmarnock game and my man of the match was shithousery, getting 10 out of 10. And I think we did to Killy what Livingston did to us. I thought we were well organised and played them very well against Kilmarnock. I thought Livingston did the same against us and, and they had chances. It was very similar to the Scottish Cup tie. I mean, I, I did stay, well, I say, I say I stayed up to watch sports scene. I didn't have to stay up. I was able to watch sports scene last night. The people in the UK that, that stayed up to watch it um, it was Thursday morning when it aired. A couple of things. One, I'm actually delighted that Naismith was offside. I would have hated if we had been robbed of a clearly uh, good goal. And he, he just, it's difficult because obviously when I've got the game on, when I'm doing the Bayern commentary um, and I see the ball in the back of the net, I'm desperate for a replay. And there wasn't really a good replay. That, that The fact there wasn't a replay to start with, the, the replay didn't come until... Um, later on in the game, I think at half time, and it was inconclusive, and that's why I messaged you at half time. What did you think? Was it offside? You weren't sure. So when I did see Sports Scene's highlights of the game, I was I was glad. I didn't want that to be decided by another poor decision because then we're in different charted uncharted territory once again. Um, as far as the game's concerned, very similar to the Scottish Cup tie from the highlights that I saw. They had a couple of decent chances, so did we. I think um, it's funny, Uche is rusty, um, and I think he'll you know, obviously get better quickly. But a friend of mine is a taxi driver in Pennycook, Ian, Ian Lenny. Well, he's a taxi driver in Edinburgh, but he's from Pennycook. And he had Uche in the back of his cab uh, a few months ago. And they were talking, he said, loves the way his style of play. And Uche said to, to Ian, 
yeah, the one thing I need to get better at is my heading. And I think right at the end, um, that was a good chance. Either side of the goalkeeper and, and Hearts, Hearts have won that. And it, it could have been also different because we could be looking right now at Hearts and Kilmarnock both on 45 because right at the same time, Kenny Miller got a penalty for Dundee that he missed. So they could easily, Killy, have been on 45 and Hearts, if Uche had scored, would have been on 45 as well. But the perspective is, when we win, everything is great. When we lose, there's an inquest. But after a game like this against stubborn opposition, I think we, we've got to try and be patient because it wasn't ideal. We didn't create that much. But moving forward with players coming back, if that happens on a regular occurrence, then there's red flags. But let's move on. It's one of these days. We have to be better at home because Dundee wasn't good enough. Uh, Kilmarnock, um, sorry, Livingston was... Again, the cup tie was much of a muchness, as was that. We we have to try and be more creative. And, and that's why with the team selection, I'm slightly surprised. I don't like Ollie Lee in that position, um, playing in a more advanced role with, with Claire. I would have played Morrison there as well from the start. Uh, but, hey, it, it's a nil-nil draw. We move on to Auchinleck, and then I think it's away at Motherwell. Will we look back and regret the, the two points drop? Yeah, but it could have been three points because they could have won that game. Since August, when Livingston beat Toiling St Mirren, they have three times um, managed to keep a clean sheet on the road. Just three times. One of them was to Dundee, who are pants. The other two, so two-thirds of their clean sheets since the 25th of August, were at Tynecastle. And this is a side who got destroyed, torn apart by Motherwell their last game. No goals in four. All defeats in their last five. And they come to Tynecastle, and it was just one-dimensional for 90 minutes. And to me, it's frustrating. Now, I get your perspective, you know, but in some ways, it's more frustrating. You got Killy, a good one. You outplay St. Johnson, who were, had who had won six and had conceded in six on the road. Super performance that game. Really good, great display away at Kilmarnock. But Dundee come to town, and when Dundee came to town, um, you know, they were with, they'd lost. Um, I've got, my, I've got my stats somewhere here. Well, they'd um, lost, they'd lost they, a lot of games. Winless in seven, one win in 15, hadn't won away since September. Again, oh, here you go, coming to town, underdogs, yeah, Hearts will play pants in that one as well. And the frustration, the frustrating thing for me is, you look at our last eight, let's look at the last, in fact, last nine games at home, I think two of those we have really outplayed the opposition um let's see hebs at home nil nil nah didn't do much in that one hebs had 10 men for a quarter of the game home to kamarnik more of the ball couldn't break them down lost beat by rangers didn't get into the second half beat motherwell one nil scraped it not much going on in that game beat hamilton two nil fair enough outplayed them but they are a very poor side Scraped Livingston 1-0, just could have gone either way. Beat by Dundee, poor performance. St Johnston, probably the only display in those nine games which I say would be impressive. And then Livingston 0-0. To me, that's not good enough at home. That's that's where my frustration is. That's not just... Fair enough, there's been some wins in there. But performance-wise, we've really struggled when the onus has been on us to break a team down. And that's, that's worrying to me. Yeah. Especially yeah. at home, because... For the entire game, and one thing I'll say about the... I know you didn't watch the game, but the one thing I'll say about the entire game, you could tell from very early on that we didn't have much in the way of ideas. It, we were floating it forward and hoping for the second ball. Livingston's three big centre-backs lapped it up. Three big lumps. But I was impressed with the lumps. They defended well. And all they had to do was rifle it clear a lot of the time. They just smashed up the park and waited for us to come back because very quickly they settled into a game where they thought... What are they going? They just they're just floating the ball up. We'll we'll eat this up. This is easy, and that was the concerning thing for me from minute one to minute ninety. We didn't look like we had much in the way of ideas, and I, I think it's worth you know I know, I know this perspective and the results, but to me it's a big missed opportunity because Aberdeen lost, Kamarnik almost lost, and they dropped points to Dundee. St Johnston just behind us in the table lost against a side below them. And we drew it home to a side bereft of confidence and who've been terrible on the road generally. Yeah, okay. We went to Kilmarnock and won. Mm -hmm. Kilmarnock hadn't lost at home, apart from against Aberdeen, 
since we went there in August, right? They'd lost once at home until we went there and won. So you can your your stats in isolation. We can do anything with stats. And and one thing I can't argue with, our home form needs to be better. But I was looking at the St. Johnson game. That was the game that you kind of pointed out, and quite rightly so, that that was the one that it clicked. They didn't get many chances, and we thoroughly deserved. I think the, the, the late goal by Callum Morrison put a more fairer reflection on, on the game. So I was just looking at the team selection. Ollie Lee played in a similar role that game as he did against Livingston. I didn't like him there against Livingston, but he played well that day against St. Johnson. We played the same formation. We played three at the back. We had four across the midfield with Mulraney wide on one side. It was Godinho against uh, on the right-hand side that time. Lee and Claire and behind Naismith. So for, on one hand, you kind of say, well, wait a minute, should we have a different formation away from home as we have at home? Because Tynecastle is one of the narrowest pitches. We know that in Scotland. And when we go to Celtic Park, it's very different, blah, blah, blah. Kilmarnock's a wide pitch as well. It's one of the widest pitches too. But we found a way to win there with that same formation. So you can do whatever you want with stats. But there's there's a few things you said which I can't argue with. I think Hearts need to be more dominant at home. And games against Dundee, games against Livingston, these are the games that we should be winning. And we shouldn't have to go away from home to get the points that we, we got at home. I get that. But we've got a, we've got a run coming up, which sees after Auchinleck, we go to Motherwell. By the way, they're a brand new team with the youngsters they've got. And they're flying right now. Then we're at home to St Mirren, home to Celtic and away to Dundee. There's no point in looking at them in isolation and saying, what, what can we expect in that? We need to take a momentum. That momentum, since the Aberdeen defeat, We've only lost once, so there is a momentum there. But I agree with you. I think there needs to be more creativity. And who 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 can we get? The transfer window is shut. So do we have enough creative players? When Uche's back playing every week, or Vanacek or whatever, when Haring's back in the team, do we have enough players that you would trust to deliver the ball in for Uche? Or do we need to start thinking about maybe changing things when we play against teams at Tynecastle? I'll tell you one thing that I would be interested to see happen, that would be Harry Cochran to come back in. And I hope he said that for a few weeks. at least gets a chance against Auchinleck at the weekend. And I understood having Michael Smith on the right side against Kilmarnock. It made a lot of sense. You had a difficult away venue to come to against a good side with their probably most talented attacking player on the left. Yeah, move your defensive player out there. I would have had Callum Morrison on the right in the home game against Livingston when we were going to get most of the ball and we were going to be attacking. For me, and we'll move on to Talbot now just because it's natural to talk about the team, I would 100% give Harry Cochran a start if he is fit ahead of Ollie Lee because... I think we need something different in the middle of the park, especially at home when we're going to dominate. And I'm a big fan of Harry Cochran. I think he's got quick feet. He's a quick thinker. I think he's a forward-thinking midfielder as well. And he, I think he plays a little bit quicker than Ollie Lee. I don't mind Ollie Lee. I'm, I'm not sure if he's definitely going to be a big success at Hearts. I think he's obviously had some great moments, like the goal against Hibs. Some games like Livingston, I just thought he slowed things down too much. I think he suits being deeper. I don't think he suits being the advanced midfielder. So I would hope to have Harry Cochran get a start. Now, it's an interesting one, the Talbot game. We're not going to speak about it much, but this is a side. Now, Hearts fans are going to go into this game. You know, Hearts fans are bad for this at home to anyone, even in the top flight. A junior side, they're going to be going to it going, well, we need to put five, six, seven goals past this lot. I don't think that'll happen. And, you know, if anything, um, we should look back to the last time Hearts played Auchinleck Talbot and it was a single goal in the end and it wasn't even that much time left when Hearts got it, which separated the two sides. Placing the quarterfinals up for grabs, Talbot have nothing to lose. They'd be air in the last round, top of the championship. Um and this is a side to also put out Cove Rangers in the Scottish Cup earlier in the season. Hearts only just scraped past Cove Rangers 2-1 in the Betfred Cup. Talbot can come and they can frustrate Hearts. And the home fans, make no mistake, it gets to 15-20 minutes and they're not breaking Talbot, Talbot down. I can see it getting to a frustrated atmosphere again. So I don't think Hearts can rest on their laurels because Paolo Sergio rested a lot of players for that game in the season that we ended up winning the Cup. And... 
Talbot should have had a draw that game because they scored a perfectly good equaliser. So yep. I, I think Craig Levine will play a pretty strong side. I think he'll maybe rotate a couple of players, but not a huge amount. They're decent. They, they, they are a decent side, and they would, for me, more than hold their own in the bottom t- tier of Scottish football in, 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 I think league, in league two. League one easily, I think. Yeah. So so let's let's not kind of get fooled. Oh, it's a non-league side. This is a good non-league side, and I know Ayr had a lot of chances. Um, at Beechwood in the previous round, but they'll be well organised. Uh, they they'll train twice. I mean, they're they're a, a decent part-time side, so they'll train twice a week. They'll work on shape. They'll be like Livingston. And I want to take you back. Um, and I know you're obviously too young for 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 this, uh, Laurie, to remember this game. Um, but I remember Hearts played Huntley, Tynecastle, round three of the Scottish Cup in January. 1993. 20 minutes gone, nil-nil. And we were getting frustrated. It was like, come on, it's Huntley, Jesus. What's going on here? And you're right about the expectation level. I'm sure all fans are, are like that, but Hearts fans especially, um, because we know them. We've been in amongst them. We've done that. We're like, come on, Jesus. We beat them 6-0 in the end, but we had to wait until the 27th minute. Fans were restless before that, until Ian Baird scored the opening goal. And then it was it was plain sailing. We were 4-0 up by half time. The floodgates opened. And I think it'll be the same. If if one goes in, I think we'll probably win maybe three. If one goes in nice enough early. Uh, but we saw, I remember that Auchinleck game. I remember watching it. I was over here. But I watched it on TV. And I know Gordon Smith scored late. They were well organised. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't get an early goal, if it's a similar game plan. They'll be they'll not be interested in, in sending two men up front. They'll play one up top. And they'll have everybody else behind the ball. So we've got to find a way to get in behind them. We've got to have creative players. I'm totally with you on Harry Cochran. I think that's the, that's true. I don't think we should deviate too much and play three or four uh, in attack because it's going to be congested enough. We've got to come up with an idea. This is like us, us going to Celtic Park or a, a weaker team going to Celtic Park. You, you've got to, you need a bit of luck. You've got to hold on. You've got to be well organised. You've got to keep your shape and you've got to work hard. That's where I think Hearts will have the upper hand. They're a fitter side, uh, they're a full-time side, and they'll overrun Huntley. Uh, if they try and press throughout, then then they're, they're done for. They're not going to be able to do that for 90 minutes, especially if they get a goal down. But the one thing I would urge this weekend on Sunday, the Hearts fans that go to Tynecastle, Patience, and it's on the back of a, uh, an interview that Stephen Naismith gave to the, the newspapers after the game against Livingston, where uh, Barry Anderson did a piece, um, and it was a good piece as well, when he's talking about Naismith kind of looked at them when the booze started, and he, he's kind of raised his hands, and he's, come on, we're, we're doing our best. We need your help as well. Hearts fans need to be patient. Um, from my perspective, from Stephen Naismith's perspective, it's easier said than done. I get that. But don't make the mistake of thinking, this is just the 11 competition winners that have won a chance to play at Tynecastle. They've earned their place here. They're a decent side of League One standard, I would say. So if we don't have our first goal before half time, I know there'll be booze or whatever, but just it will happen. Patience, please. So hopefully when we're next on next week, we will be speaking about Hearts progressing to the quarterfinals, but I can't rest on our laurels on that one against Ochenlech. Talbot. Um, if you do have any more bets to give us, as I've mentioned, you can tweet at Around the Funnel or email podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk. So your best hearts bets down the years or your worst hearts bets or those punts that you, those tips that you gave that you forgot to put on. Um, we'll maybe go through some more of those next time. Um, we've just about managed to get through everything, Mark. I think. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the, the one, the one add-on that would give you, as I said earlier, your favourite Hearts penalty or penalty shootout. And if you can make it more obscure, that'd be great because we don't want everyone saying, "Oh, Craig Beatty," because that was our favourite penalty. Um, and I'm sure Robbo against Hibbs has had a couple as well. But obscure, the more obscure, the better for your favourite Hearts penalty or penalty shootout. I remember we beat Stenhouse Muir after playing horrible in a League Cup tie at Tynecastle back in the day. Um, wasn't special or anything like that, but I just remember it. So that was obscure. You got any for us? We look forward to hearing from you. I've got one. Yes. Cowden Beath, penultimate game of the championship season, didn't actually mean anything really, 
Brad Mackay playing his last game for Hearts, and Hearts needed three Score. points to secure the highest points total in the second tier. Obviously, they could have then done it against Rangers the week after, but if they won at Cowdenbeath, they would get all three. They got a penalty at the end of the game, and up stepped Brad Mackay in his final game for Hearts to dispatch that spot kick to the fury of Donald Findlay at the side of the park. <laughs> and to the delight, to the delight of the travelling Hearts fans, and of course set the record points total in the championship. Didn't mean anything in the grand scheme of things, but yeah, I enjoyed that one. Feel feel free to get your editing tools out. Sorry for giving you extra work. There was a fair bit of, of tangenticity at the beginning of of this podcast. So I might, I might just I, put the whole thing up. You know what the hell? Oh well, it's, it's a long one today, so. I look forward to seeing your finished efforts, as always, on my little trip to work over the next couple of days. And thank you all for listening, if you've made it this far. And we'll see you all next time.